Welcome to the Mortar and Pestle, a PCCA podcast where we discuss all things compounding and all things concerning independent pharmacy. Now, here are your hosts, Mike Delisio, North American Sales Director, and Sebastian Dennison, Clinical Compounding Pharmacist. Welcome, Compounding World. Welcome to the latest episode of the Mortar and Pestle, a PCCA podcast. This is Mike Delisio, your host, and as always, joined with Sebastian Dennison. Seb, how the heck are you? Today, uh, I'm I'm feeling like this is going to be a perfect topic. I was out on the ice with my son yesterday practicing, and you know you feel a little bit older when you're being zoomed around by 12 year old kids. And so <laughs> internally, I was like, man, am I getting old? And what's going on? Am I hitting that Andrew pause moment? And uh, and I and, and I'm like just grateful we have such an amazing guest today that can bring enlightenment to my own personal world. I think selfishly, you and I always like talking about this subject because. You know, living an active lifestyle, trying to be as healthy as possible. You far more healthy than I am, um, but we always get great insight from this individual, and and uh, it's an individual that I think we should definitely introduce because it was featured on the podcast in the past, um, and that's none other than I would say former member of our clinical services team, Bruce Biondo. Bruce, your former only be by choice of retirement and. Uh, you're definitely missed here at PCCA, but welcome back to the Mortar and Pestle. Well, thank you so much, Mike and Seb. I'm, I'm delighted to be here, delighted to be able to talk about this uh, talk, uh, overall sense of what is testosterone, what does it mean to, pe- to people. And um, you know, I had taken a break from really looking at research information. I fully retired last uh, end of December, and uh, Renee asked me to to do this talk, do, do a talk on uh, on current testosterone research. So it was a lot of fun for me. I actually had a unique opportunity to do it because I came down with a mild case of COVID in June. So I got, uh, oh, yeah, I got the Omicron variant. I was you know, relatively uh, protected for it. I'd gotten, uh, you know, all, all four of my shots. And so I, I felt fairly confident about it. Now I had, again, a relatively mild case in my case, while I tested positive, both on a home test and at the doctor's office, I had mild, uh, mild symptoms, much like a uh, cold uh, lasting a couple of days. But my wife insisted that I isolate for the full week. And so by isolating, uh, Mike and Seb, it gave me a great opportunity to pull out the computer and start looking to see what I could find. Well, you know what, Bruce, if, if there's one thing about you, if you're a member of PCC and have been for a long time, there's a high probability that somebody has spoken to you on the topic of testosterone. I, I, think, when, <laughs> I think that's probably the safest bet. We used to always watch you do, well, I'll call them consults because your conversations were always more in-depth. Um, you definitely spoke to so many members about just testosterone in general and, and looking at overall hormone health, specifically in males. I know when we launched a Trevis, um, and obviously that is our, our dedicated base that was developed for the purpose of delivering testosterone, you were heavily involved in that research. And I think even seeing you retire in December, it was clear to me that, you know, you're a lifelong learner. I think it was going to be really hard to pull you away from these conversations, the topic at hand. So I would say in the weirdest and strangest way possible, I guess COVID probably put you back into a position where you 
got to dedicate your research. So uh, interestingly enough, that's really what we wanted to talk about today is really what's been going on in the world of testosterone research, what's been relevant, what have you uncovered? Because uh, as we know, in the topic of hormone replacement therapy for males or females, it's always in flux. There's always new information, always great content that we can share with our membership base. So, you know, let's just start there. What, what have you uncovered in more of your recent research and what essentially is relevant in 2022? Yeah. Well, the first thing I, I found that it, it was a surprise to me, I actually I'm across it a, a few minutes early, and then I dug into it more deeply with the article. But I found that the Journal of the American Medical Association had done some work about a year ago uh, looking at testosterone levels in men who were suffering from COVID. And I'll tell you, give you a little bit of background on how that all came about. It was observed uh, fairly clearly that of people who were going into the hospital who were going to be in intensive care, and perhaps put on ventilators. There were far more men involved than women. And, 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 and the same was true with mortality, the people who died from the severity of their condition, far more men than women. And they thought, well, what's different about men than women? Testosterone. So perhaps uh, the initial thought was maybe testosterone is causing something. You know, like testosterone is... Uh, levels are making it or, or enabling uh, this viral condition. So they began to measure numbers of, of patients who were coming in. And what they found was that uh, it was kind of opposite of what they expected. They were expecting to see that testosterone maybe with high levels were causing the problem. And what they actually found out was that men with low testosterone levels had the greatest severity of the condition. They had more uh, men who are going into ICU, more men who are being put on ventilators, and uh, more men who, who died. And, and I, I found that really, really interesting. Uh, it gets down to, well, what the heck is going on? And, and so a lot of these men were not in good health going into uh, the, the, you know, going into the hospital. A lot of these men had comorbidities. Maybe some of them were overweight, some had heart trouble, some had insulin resistance or diabetes, hypertension. So some of those men uh, who had the most severe problems had other comorbidities. But at the same time, they entered the hospital with uh, surprisingly low testosterone levels. And I'll give you some examples of what I mean by low. Throughout this uh, Throughout all the articles I found, uh, the numbers that we kind of commonly think of as serum numbers are what's used. So if I say 350 nanograms per deciliter, that's a fairly common uh, reference point for men with testosterone. Uh, and, and it didn't mean everything was measured by, uh, by uh, serum. They, they used uh, liquid chromatography, and mass spectrometry in some of the some of the studies, but nevertheless, the numbers they were using were the, the numbers we normally think of as serum numbers. So, you know, three fifty might be considered a borderline number between low and and uh, good or better. Many of the men in these studies who came to the hospital were numbers below two fifty. So that was 
part of the surprise and the numbers remained low while they were hospitalized. I found uh, some studies that showed that the levels maintained, and, and at least in some instances, the levels remained low for a long time after. Uh, so you get down to did the uh, did the men's being low in testosterone predispose them to getting a severe COVID? That seems to be part of the answer, and part of the answer seems to be that the virus itself has a mechanism to lower testosterone levels. So whether even when the men were recovering from the virus, their levels remain low. So it's, it struck me in multiple situations, uh, Mike and Seb, where uh, testosterone levels had, were uh, not something that these men knew about. In my opinion, um, many of the doctors are not measuring testosterone. So they didn't even know the men had low numbers until they got in the gotten to the hospital. I'm going to pause briefly and let you guys ask a question or so. So we know uh, kind of right through this sort of scenario of andropause, um, I think it's something like four in 10 will we'll start uh, experiencing this sort of decline in testosterone and these severe symptoms. But we also know it's tied very much to these inflammatory markers that set up that are also sort of related back to this cytokine storm. And so right. we, we know that that's, there, there's definitely a connection. Um, right. And so what are we seeing sort of in the, uh, and I, sure. I guess it's kind of an unfair question because you set back. No, it's not an unfair um, question. What, it, it was a, you, a, it's a very relevant, relevant point, Sebastian. And you know, COVID has been described as like a, uh, a cytokine storm, the, the inflammatory markers, IL-2 and IL-6, IL-1, uh, inflammatory markers. And uh, IL-10, on the other hand, is considered an, an anti-inflammatory cytokine. In any instance, cytokines, the, the inflammatory cytokines were up. It has been shown that testosterone has a way of buffering those or actually lowering them, keep them un, uh, under more, more control and uh, producing more testosterone, uh, pardon me, uh, the uh, anti-inflammatory cytokine like, like uh, interleukin-10. So the cytokine storms, um, Sebastian, a very big part of what uh, the men were going through. The men uh, did not have the advantage of testosterone, which might be uh, countering those inflammatory markers and promoting the anti-inflammatory markers. And, and, and I think that there's also the second part to that, which is uh, susceptibility of infection um, and then sort of the outcome. Because I know that there's now information available, and, I, and I, I'm able to just find some of this research that's showing um, TRT certainly does not adversely affect, um, but they're looking into whether or not it may benefit even, uh, but, but more so earlier, as opposed to oh, well, now you have a COVID infection. Maybe we should give you some testosterone. It might be, well, we, we might not need to back this up. We need to give you vital health well before you actually are exposed to COVID. So I, you know, I think that the, the information's turning. So I, I hate to, I'm sorry, jump it over you there, Sebastian, I apologize. But yeah, an overall viewpoint I came across with looking at uh, the COVID papers, and they were multiple COVID papers, and they were written by uh, physicians, who are highly esteemed, um, 
and 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 deeply researched. One of the things that, uh, as you know, physicists uh, jump at something. They want to see how something works. They want to be able to understand it. They want to make sure that they have uh, the correct information. So the part of the the thing has has been known for a long time, which is that infection itself tends to uh, lower testosterone levels and and viral pandemics from the past affected men more greatly than women. The flu pandemic of uh, 1919 infected far more uh, uh, affected far more men than women, although at the time they certainly were not aware of measuring testosterone levels. So uh, uh, something that I uh, came across to me kind of overreaching is this. Not that many doctors on their own in general practice, uh, specialty practice, measure testosterone. Certainly we know physicians who do. I have been uh, uh, greatly blessed to be a good friend to a, a urologist in the Houston Medical Center at, at Baylor College of Medicine who is incredibly knowledgeable, incredibly intelligent, and very, very devoted to, to research. So he's one of those people who is carrying it forward. Uh, there are other physicians who are carrying it forward, but in my personal instances of going to my internist, I found they normally would not measure testosterone. Now, if I say, would you please do it? Oh, sure, no problem. Not a problem at all to measure it. But that to me is what something, uh, Sebastian and Mike, that came across to me as I looked at the various things, the COVID, uh, other viral infections that are likely uh, cause testosterone to be, to be depressed and the recovery being slower as the testosterone levels remain slow for some time. So it has struck me that uh, physicians should be monitoring testosterone before, you know, routinely, the way you measure everything else. You go in and get an A1C, you go in and get your cholesterol measured. And, and based on not just the COVID, but the other things that I will uh, briefly cover here in a couple of minutes uh, relate to testosterone. And it, I'm, I'm hoping that some of these articles are gonna open up physicians' eyes to the fact that it is, uh, it's not a fountain of youth, but testosterone is vital to men's health. Well, well I think, that <laughs> kind of goes without saying, considering I'm feeling old and slow around my kids. Um, but yeah, I think that the testing piece, um, and it, it, it's so important because people are are kind of brushing off, well, you're just kind of getting older and it's okay, it's normal. But I think that there's information showing that post-COVID, uh, both, both sort of a moderate to severe uh, levels, you can see this decrease in testosterone post and it's just kind of being brushed off as, oh, well, you might be fatigued and it might just be post-COVID syndrome. Um, but yeah, we've, we've now find this, what do they say? More than 50% of men um, yeah. after severe are seeing testosterone uh, that are now considered hypogonadism. Yeah. So huge opportunity as providers to make the yeah. recommendation to these other providers and saying like, look, if, if all we do is test, I've got, because the patients are coming to us as saying, I don't know what's wrong. I don't know what's wrong. We've already got all these tools in our tool chest. Uh, testosterone replacement therapy sh should be sort of high at that list. 
let me let me jump in here for, for just a moment and, and introduce another element that is estradiol levels in men. Uh, you know, I've been talking about yeah. testosterone for a long, long time, and, and I was fortunate enough to be greatly influenced by a physician up from Pennsylvania named Eugene Shippen. He put out a book in 1998, and it was uh, that book and a few other things at that time that I was able to read and learn from that kind of moved me forward. And I always saw a value of measuring estradiol levels, and most physicians won't do it. Some of them will look at you as though you're really unusual to even be requesting it. But Sebastian and Mike, it wasn't just low testosterone. It was the ratio between estradiol and testosterone that came into play. And I'm going to use some basic numbers here that I hope will make it uh, relatively clear. Uh, so we're talking about estradiol versus testosterone. And if I put my, if I, if you were seeing me doing this right now, I'm going to have my two hands about uh, a one about a foot higher than the other. And that's where there may be an ideal ratio. So you have something mm -hmm. like estradiol, which is commonly measured in PG per ml, picograms per milliliter. In studies that I've seen, uh, the number 50, like 50 pints per mil is kind of considered a, a marker where above that is considered high, below that is considered relatively low. With testosterone, I find that uh, physicians are not consistent on what they call low and high. For example, I found in some articles they were uh, saying 350 was the number where we say that's kind of baseline. If you're below that, you're a little low. Above that, you're doing fine. So if we take the numbers 50 for estradiol and 350 and forget for just a moment that there are different units, we'd say, well, that's a, like a one to seven, 50 times seven is 350. So that's like one to seven. That's a fairly high ratio. On the other hand, if you had the, uh, the, the uh, patient having a testosterone level of 500, now you have 50 to 500, that is considered a safer ratio. That is uh, what some of these articles indicate that when the ratio of estradiol to testosterone is relatively high. One to seven would be higher than one to 10. Uh, that, that can be significant. And again, uh, uh, Sebastian and Mike, I, I, I found physicians, even if they um, had looked at testosterone, they often don't look at estradiol. I uh, was blessed one time to go to London uh, many years ago and give a presentation to European doctors, and some of whom were uh, uh, very, you know, uh, presented themselves as very knowledgeable about testosterone. I recall introducing estradiol into the topic and it was like, they started throwing rotten tomatoes at me because that was not part of what they looked at. So that was another element that I think should be considered. Uh, I know uh, Mike, Sebastian, we're gonna be running a little bit low on time. Would you mind if I uh, move on and talk about a few other things that I saw? Yeah, sure. Um, I, I know, and we're, we're, uh, this is what I love about Bruce. We don't have to ask a question. He's like, "Let me talk." Yeah, you. and 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 that's yeah, why please. he's here. Definitely not to hear from us. And maybe in your, you know, your, your next step in in some of your findings yeah. in your research, you touch on that too. Um, well, but yeah, I'm, go I'm ahead, gonna, Bruce. It's all yours. Yeah. This so, is this is why we we love having that, you here. One of the things that is holding a lot of physicians back with fears the fears. This is going to promote heart attacks. This is going to promote uh, prostate cancer. 
this is going to shrink the testes and, uh, and this is going to cause other effects we don't even know about. So a lot of times, uh, even in the news, I'll see where testosterone is considered a steroid. So it's lumped together with, quote, steroids and, and thought, therefore, to be sort of bad. Steroids are bad. Uh, so that has held a lot of physicians back. And, and relative to prostate cancer, the big fears on prostate cancer were actually based on very, very flawed science uh, back around 1950. But once it came out, physicians were con uh, uh, convinced uh, testosterone promoted prostate cancer. Same thing with cardiovascular disease. A lot of doctors uh, have been convinced that testosterone promotes cardiovascular disease. So among the papers I looked at, there were papers by Lancet Journal and the Mayo Clinic. And, and as you know, Lancet's very highly recorded. Uh, the Mayo Clinic, very highly recorded. So what they discussed was the value of testosterone in, in promoting good health, uh, promote, uh, working against inflammation, working against oxidative stress, promoting uh, uh, promoting values, health values that are going to be considerably uh, healthier in the long run for, for men. So I found that uh, the information that came out about, I believe it was around 2014, you may remember that the, there were a few papers that uh, were printed that talked about testosterone negatively affecting heart health. And the FDA, as a result, put out a warning on testosterone and greatly, greatly affected physicians prescribing testosterone in a negative way. At the time, I looked at several of the papers that were put out that, that seemed to affect the FDA's decision. And I came across what I thought was a poor understanding of what the literature was. I'm gonna use one example. You know, I've, I've already mentioned 350 as being like a, a marker for low versus uh, buganatal testosterone levels. So to, the FDA cited an article that showed men who had an average range of, say, 235 versus another group of men that had an average range of, say, 260. They made a judgment and said, okay, it looks to me like the men with 260 are having a few more cardiovascular issues than the men at 235. And I looked at that and I said, wait a second. All of these men are low in testosterone. They were referring to anybody like at 260 as having high testosterone levels and they weren't high at all. So that was one of the things I pointed out in, a, in a, something I think is still uh, available to members. And it was something I had uh, that was published in the apothegram. So that, that was a factor where doctors began to slow down and look at thinking it was causing problems. The Lancet article, the Mayo Clinic article show that is simply not true, that the FDA information, and it's cited in, in the papers. I'm going to give my email address uh, uh, right now, just in case anybody wants to email me and find out more about the literature. It is B as in boy, B as in boy, R, X, M, A, N. That's B, B, R, X, M, A, N at AOL.com. But again, you had major 
influential uh, clinics and journals citing this information as being flawed. And, and I think that's substantial. And I will mention another uh, area, cardiovascular has been, as I said, one of the uh, one of the areas doctors have been afraid of, and yet the literature seems to support testosterone as being good for cardiovascular health. Sarcopenia, elderly muscle mass loss, elderly muscle uh, strength loss. And so uh, one of the articles I, I reviewed talked about, well, what do you do about that in an elderly man uh, you know, if, if it were Mike, if it was you, if Sebastian, if it was me, we're out in the gym, we're working out. So we see uh, exercise as a way to keep us in good health. And in this case, we're talking about uh, skeletal muscle, bone strength, uh, uh, the ex in, uh, uh, weight resistant type exercising. The point is, is a lot of men who have sarcopenia are in no way in any shape or form able to go out and do weight resistant exercise. So the article suggested that testosterone could be uh, very useful for men who are not able to do weight resistant exercise. I will pause briefly. And I, I, so I think that this is part and parcel of why we felt when you, when you decided to step back, uh, we knew that you weren't really going. We just knew that you were stepping back from taking calls because I know that you're just so excited about this. And I think that there is so much more to explore. Uh, Mike, I'm going to suggest that maybe we're going to have to have him back on another podcast shortly just to keep, an ex keep exploring this because there is so much more information here. Yeah, there is. <clears throat> and obviously with our format, we, we try to keep everything condensed within a certain time frame. But as Bruce is and always was um, – possesses a tremendous amount of knowledge and obviously references clinical clinical research that's been done and it's publicly available as well. I think that's the biggest question that I have as well. Since it's audio platform, it's so hard to show, you know, references and everything else. Bruce, I know you alluded to some of the findings that you did. Maybe we can also re recap and review where individuals who are listening to the podcast can actually find some of this research and also read through it for their own benefit as well. Mike, when I gave my presentation uh, this past weekend, my main goal was to show the, 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 the attendees what the literature is. In other words, my, my, uh, I wanted them to know what the titles of the articles are. I wanted to get them. So the way I started out uh, the search was I went to PubMed, P-U-B-M-E-D, for those not familiar. It's, a, it's an incredibly vast storehouse of information. So I would start out on PubMed and saying, okay, testosterone, uh, new research in testosterone, or new research, testosterone, prostate cancer, testosterone, cardiovascular, new, new information. So PubMed is probably a uh, single one best uh, place to look. Anyone who has used it knows that there's just tons and tons of articles, millions of them. Uh, Medscape. Medscape is a relatively uh, available uh, source of information. Many pharmacists get through their email lines. It often talks about new literature, uh, what's happening, what's coming out. And there's one that I used for years while I was still in the office. Uh, I'll have to spell this one out. 
uh, it's MD links, MD like medical doctor, then links with an X instead of a KS. So it's mdlinx.com. It's something you have to sign up for, uh, but it's easy to do. It's easy to sign up for it. And I usually signed up for urology because that contained most of the stuff about testosterone that I was looking for, but you can sign up for pharmacy information or other information. And what you get is regularly sent out emails talking about new information, new clinical articles that are just coming out, some of them not yet uh, immediately available. For example, if a physician gets a hard copy uh, journals, uh, the things that would show up on MD links would be out well before this physician would get, get their journal. So Bruce, yes. You, oh, sorry. Sorry, I didn't mean to step on there because I, I know you compiled a lot of this. Didn't, didn't you put together a super document in our- I put together references? one document that I, I remember the number of. It's 94004. It's, a, it's, uh, it's something I accumulated over years. It's in the PCCA document file, 94004. Approximately 700 articles I cited in there. Now, just Sebastian, to your point, of the stuff that I presented at the uh, Hormone Seminar uh, this past weekend, none of the articles I presented were in that stack. So my what what it, it continues to amaze me and impress me is that research is always going on. And often we don't know about it. And if we don't know about it, uh, it's like it didn't happen. So there are many things that are being published uh, I'm excited about when I when I see uh, publications, but the the citation you mentioned contains a, a lot of them. Uh, if any anyone who uh, is interested in the things I'm talking about today, you can email me. But they were in the uh, PCCA seminar. I gave all the titles of the journals, uh, the authors of the journals, and, and so I hope that's what you mean. So I would encourage pharmacists to to oh. seek information and importantly to understand it and uh, take the time to read through it. You don't want to uh, go in with an article where you only read the headline, you didn't read through it and your doctor reads it and uh, he believes, he or she believes it actually counters your argument. So make sure you are reading uh, the information. I'm sorry, go ahead, Sebastian. I was going to ask you, oh. do, you see, do you see yourself uh, continuing this journey because I think we're we're all interested. Like, is are you are you going to be getting more involved, or are are you are you going to come back again? Are we going to see you on the stage one more time soon? You know, uh, if I, if I can learn to dodge the rotten tomatoes a little bit better, uh, there's a fairly good chance I will. But one thing to your point, <laughs> <laughs> to your point, uh, there was the when I talked to Renee about this particular presentation this past weekend. I was thinking at the time that uh, Dr. Kara, uh, incredibly bright, resourceful physician, urologist, I thought he was gonna be talking about a research uh, that he, had, he his team had recently completed. And when I talked to him, I, I found out while they had completed the research, the paper would not be written up until the end of the year. So I'm gonna mention uh, a Traverse, T-R-A-V-E-R-S-E, Traverse study. You can actually uh, uh, Google it or go to PubMed. You'll find a brief abstract about what it is. But so to your point, I'm excited about research that continues to go on. 
Sebastian, and uh, certainly I would I would be delighted to to uh, come out. Should uh, you know should I be called to do so? But I do know there's really big research still still on the horizon. And, and the biggest one I know is that Traverse study, five-year study, prospective, looking at cardiovascular uh, disease, progression, lack of progression between men who are on testosterone and not on testosterone. And same is true as prostate uh, cancer and other uh, comorbid general health conditions. Well, Bruce, it was an absolute pleasure to have you back. We definitely miss you. Um, it was a great opportunity to reconnect and, and also hear your engagement levels. And you definitely sound rested and relaxed and, and stress-free <laughs> as well. So I have no reason not to be rested. Well, you know what? You're, you're definitely applying the, the mental side of things, um, even post-retirement. And I know our members miss you. Employees here at PCCA definitely miss you, but we're fortunate that you were still willing to do this, and we hope to have you back. I think Sebastian alluded to that continuation of you know sure. the conversation, additional research. Um, you've always been one of our experts as it pertains to men's health, uh, specifically relating to testosterone and, and you know all things related to males. But the reality is, you you're definitely welcome back to Mortar and Pestle. We'll definitely love to have you back and and continue the conversation. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Pleasure. And, and Bruce, just so you know, we do miss you at uh, clinical services. And I still get the calls. Where's Bruce? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Sebastian. Yeah. Th thanks again. I, mean, I was looking forward to a face-to-face -face thing today. So uh, this worked out fine, but but I actually missed that that personal interaction. Well, next time, we'll definitely have you live. How about that? Okay, good deal. Awesome. Bruce, thank you again. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in to this amazing episode and amazing content that Bruce was willing to share. Uh, for those of you that do not subscribe, hit that subscribe button on any platform that you do listen to the podcast so that you never miss an episode. And as always, follow us along on social media, whether it's LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, this is Mike Delicio, and we'll talk to you soon. Mm -hmm.